Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Podcast One Sports is your home for the Underdog Sports Network. Join Chris Horwadell and friends each week as they cover the biggest stories in sports with shows like Tales from the Association, the Underdog Sports NFL Show, and you're wrong and here's why. You can't rely on draft picks a lot of times with quarterbacks. There's four to five quarterbacks drafted in the first round that are complete busts. Check out all these exciting shows on the Underdog Sports Network every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. And I'm really excited for this guest, Carol Lawson, basketball star in her own right at Tennessee and in the WNBA, and longtime broadcaster. She started while she was playing in the WNBA broadcasting, and now she is the she's an analyst for the Washington Wizards broadcasts with NBC Sports Washington. She also still does work for ESPN Radio on the NBA more broadly and on women's basketball. And we get into all of that. I really love this conversation. We talk about her background, where the game is going, how she does the work of broadcasting so many different areas, basketball is an organism, lots of really cool ideas. Episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. can use that podcast one promo code for a 50% sign up bonus and true car. Great place to buy new and used cars and also to sell your car or trade it in. The episode runs a little bit short of an hour. Lots of great substance in there. We cover a massive amount of ground, which was so much fun for me, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Danny. Appreciate it. I thought it would be a good place to start because of what you're working on, that beyond doing your full-time, your first full-time job with the Wizards, you are still maintaining a, a connection to women's basketball. And I am incredibly impressed with that. And what I wanted to ask was just like, how important was that for you that when you took on this job with the Wizards that you would maintain that connection? It was one of the first things that I, I talked about with the Wizards, uh, with NBC Sports Washington, which is uh, the network I work for locally in DC. I think, you know, <laughs> basketball is, is a huge organism, right? And it's connected in a lot of different ways. But when you come up through the women's basketball part of it, which I did as a player uh, for a long time, you have a special affection for your place in that huge organism. And knowing where you come from and being loyal to where you come from, I think is really important. Uh, I've watched over the years uh, many announcers uh, come up through women's basketball and then leave women's basketball. And not that we as announcers get to chart our course. That's not how it works. Did note very early in my career to myself that if I ever got an opportunity to work in the NBA, work in men's college basketball, that I wouldn't abandon the sport. And I think that that sends a powerful message to the people that I cover that I look at every game that I do as the most important thing I'm doing that day, and I hold them equally. And as long as my bosses at the Wizards and NBC Sports Washington and my bosses at ESPN uh, allow me to work on the on the women's game, I will not be the reason that uh, I'm not covering women's basketball. So I'm thankful I'm allowed to to uh, still to do both and able to do both. It makes for a hectic schedule in January, February, March in particular. But it's incredible because you go from one night being in a in a pro basketball atmosphere and the next night you're in a college arena with band, cheerleaders, great crowds. 
obviously great athletes and that part of it is is still uh very appealing to me and, uh, and i still like to to learn and follow and see the next generation of of players uh in the women's game and that also gives you i mean you have a, a perspective as well being a being a longtime player yourself but how do you think that maintaining the obligation though obviously you don't see it as an obligation to to cover both the men's and women's sides how do you think that doing both at the same time affects your perspective on each of them i think they make me better i mean i i've always covered the women's game so i don't have a same comparison that i'm about to give uh, on the flip side but when i started doing the wizards last year so this is my second year covering the wizards my first year last year i started covering the wizards and the NBA season uh, stretches beyond the college season on both ends. So I typically am doing a month of games before college basketball even starts. And then probably two months of games before it, it gets going hot and heavy where I'm doing a game once a week. And I remember sitting at the table for my first few women's college games last year. And my diagnostic capabilities went through, had gone through the roof. Like I felt like everything was in slow motion. I felt like I was seeing everything very clear. I felt like I was anticipating. I knew what was about to happen. And I, it was happening so quickly. I had to, it startled me a little bit and I had to catch myself like, whoa, this is from the repetition, just like anything, right, Danny, like shooting or studying or whatever it is, it's from the repetition of day after day after day, being in Wizards practice, being at the shoot-arounds, watching NBA games, watching film, preparing for the Wizards opponents, and you just do that time after time after time after time after time, and all of a sudden you just, I, it, was a, it was a rare moment in the long growth curve where you actually feel yourself getting better. I experienced moments like that as a player too, right? You work on you work on a move, you work on a skill, time after time after time after time after time. But there are rare moments in training, in, you know, months of training that you actually feel the growth. Some days you don't, but some days you do. And so that was one for me as a broadcaster where uh, I just felt very sharp and uh, like I was um, just improving and getting a lot better. And in broadcasting, it doesn't happen quickly like that all the time. It takes time. I mean, I've been doing this 15 years. And I still have, you know, room to improve, room to grow, and I still feel like I'm getting better. But uh, that was one moment where certainly covering the NBA helped helped college. And, you know, women's college basketball, covering that for as long as I have has helped me uh, immensely in terms of dealing with different personalities, dealing with coaches, dealing with players. Remember now the NBA, the young men are the same age as most of the women's college basketball players, <laughs> right? I mean, a lot of the league is 22 and under now because of one and dones and and uh, guys coming over younger from Europe and all those types of things. So they're con they are analogous in terms of their age. And so that, that certainly helps in terms of uh, being able to, to have conversations with them and you know, talk about uh, the game and, and, and other things as well. So I, I think they, they, match up. they match up very well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. The analogy I thought of when you were talking about you know, progression being slow and then quick is like if you're working on a mechanic on a jump shot. And you know, you're getting there and it feels a little bit awkward, and then all of a sudden one day you just kind of get it. And then the, and the progression, you, the work all led to that point but it's it does really snap into place at a specific moment. Yeah, I, I though I don't have the breadth 
of, of work that you do. That certainly happens with me sometimes, even, you know, doing the stuff with Nate, you go like, oh, that's how this works and, and fitting it together. And yeah. it, it's also interesting. You talked about the, about the age difference. I, I think that is an important element of this with the, the one and dones in basketball. I mean, you, you do have, and it's not only for me in the NBA that there are these, this many young players. It's that those young players often get a lot on their shoulders. I mean, Luka Doncic is 19 and he's starting. He is the lead offensive player for the Dallas Mavericks. You have this all over. I mean, John Wall had that responsibility when he was around that same age after coming out of Kentucky. So you're, you're right. I, I hadn't really ever thought of it that way, but because the men's college game has been so thinned out by one and done, the analog in terms of age is probably the women's college game. Yeah, and the pressures, uh, obviously the pressures are, are different for the NBA players because we're dealing with salaries and millions of dollars. But I, I cover, you know, most of the games I'm doing, uh, I'm fortunate I'm doing, you know, the highest of profile women's college teams. And there are significant pressures, <laughs> you know, in those programs to win, to perform, and there, there's a little bit more of a game in and game out pressure because of the number of games is is, is drastically smaller. Uh, so you get to to observe and, and see players in those types of atmospheres. And then the ultimate of of pressure is the one game scenario, uh, which you know which we have in the NCAA tournament. So covering the NBA and, and working in playoff series, but then also getting that uh, getting that fix of the of the one game is is it's exhilarating. I mean, we 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 come off what's probably the best final four in history uh, last year uh, with what Notre Dame was able to do and and what Enrique was able to do. But most of the games I'm doing, there's something at stake, and I know you know the the coaches and the players are going to say oh, every game there's something at stake, and there is, but certainly not as much as as there is in some of these NCAA tournament games that you get to cover, and so. That atmosphere and, and just the the energy around that type of environment is uh I get I get excited I mean I, it's it's hard for me to I have to on purpose calm myself down throughout the day of a big game right because you're just juiced you're you're ready to go yeah and there's a fine line as an analyst between being excited and just give, maybe getting a little bit overboard because you know you have, you still have to analyze the game it it is a challenge to reconcile it and something I wanted to ask you about I hadn't really thought of this beforehand but you're a great person to ask about the difference between the one-off format of the NCAA tournament and a playoff format like you know said best of five best of seven as a player how I mean obviously the mindsets are completely different because you know the margin for error is so different but how do you approach those different you know, high stakes situations differently based on where you kind of where you are, because the NCAA tournament is a whole different animal. Yeah, it's not only is it a different animal, you're you're usually playing an opponent that you haven't faced before. <laughs> there, there's not that, you know, experiential wisdom that you have against a certain opponent. Now, yes, maybe in later rounds, you're playing someone that you played once before or heaven forbid, twice before, because they were a conference opponent or maybe three times in a rare scenario. So a lot of times you're using the first couple minutes to kind of figure figure some things out uh, as a player in terms of, well, how quick are they? Like how quick, you know, how quick is somebody that's guarding me that I have to guard? How big are they? You know, until you get up next to them on the court, that can be a difference. How long are their arms? That used to be really important to me as someone who ran off a lot of screens and, and, and shot like what can they get to? Like how close could, can they be to me to affect my shot? How close is too close where I feel like confident I can shoot? Or, you know, what what distance do I feel like even if they're there and have long arms, I'm still going to be able to get it off. So there's all these like little micro judgments that you're making as a player through the first few minutes of the game. Uh, whereas in a series uh, at the professional level, you've played them before um, at, in a, at a minimum twice. And you've had an opportunity to feel them out a little bit. 
as far as what it's you know what, what it's going to be like. And so I always found from a series perspective, you know, the mental roller coaster is very important to stay steady on because it just it can feel like a series can feel like a year sometimes, depending on who you're playing and and uh, how many times you've played them before, and then also the adjustments and anticipating what potential adjustments the other team will make game to game how you you know how you go about that how you how you go about that as a player how your team goes about that and so when you look at the series like that i've always looked at series as the most important is after you've played one game and then you're figuring out kind of what to do next and in a one game scenario you obviously don't have that luxury I'm sure one of the other big differences is just the practical considerations of where you play. I mean, in in the playoffs for professionals in WNBA, you're playing in an arena that you played in before. You know, you whether it's your home arena or a visiting place, you've been there at least at least one time before. And in college, that can bounce around a lot depending on where where you are in the whole format, and that brings challenges. You know, I, I know players talk about unfamiliar gyms and sight lines and all of those type of things as well. Yeah, uh, and those are those are unique to to each. Uh, sport in terms of men's and women's college basketball. So in women's college basketball, you play at home if you're a top 16 seed. So if you, you get one through four seed in your region, you get the first two rounds at home. That's a nice advantage for all those all those uh, reasons you talked about. Regionals are, are at a neutral site and uh, Final Four, obviously, at a neutral site. Uh, the women play Final Four in arenas. They don't have to deal with that dome uh, adjustment that the men do in terms of getting to the final four and playing in a 70,000 seat arena, right? Playing, it, playing in an arena that's not built for basketball and they basically yeah. don't play it. Ugh. I, I've gone to a few, yeah. few recent final fours and it's always driven me crazy, even though I don't play like from the player's perspective. I remember I was in the, the Georgia dome and I was just sitting there going like, how are they going to get used to this? But yeah. they do. Yeah. I mean, we, I, I was part of an era in women's college basketball where we, we played in domes as well. So I played in the Alamo Dome and then I played in the Georgia Dome. And to be honest, it wasn't really that hard to, to shoot or to, to play or to focus on what you needed. The hardest part was getting to the locker room felt like a mile. Like I felt like I was in cross country when I was having to, to jog to the locker room at halftime because everything's just more spread out in a venue like that as opposed to built for so it's it's not only built you're talking about sight lines built for a basketball game it's not only that they're built for a basketball game on the court in the stands but also behind behind the scenes and how all that logistically goes together so that was something i I definitely remember of how long it was to get to the locker room yeah and and that's a practical consideration i mean i don't know you would remember probably better than i do if halftime is longer but still that's that's a significant consideration absolutely yeah yeah it's different so i mean all those all those things are are a part of the the college, but I, I also think that's that helps make it feel big and helps mm-hmm. make it feel fun too. That you're getting to go to this city, you're getting to play in this arena uh, as part. You know, you've made it to the Final Four, you've made it to the Sweet Sixteen. I think that kind of adds to it that it's a it's a special place that maybe you you don't you you haven't played before, you don't get to play before a city that you haven't gone to yet. That certainly uh, was part of the excitement. Well, yeah, and it's a different life experience. I think that would be a really a really fun part of it. And I mean, while there are plenty of professional men's players now that are younger than their college brethren, it still is, you know, a different part of it. And, and that's kind of the way that I've grown to appreciate college and pro basketball is that, you know, like, there's a part of me that goes, oh, you know, the one-off, it's not a fair representation. You know, the champion, it can be, you know, like somebody turns their ankle and misses part of a game and it totally swings the champion and all that kind of stuff. But then what I realized is it's, 
it's just a different thing. And that doesn't make it better or worse. It just makes it different. And there is something to be said for that, that kind of variation. So for the players, for the fans, it's just different. And I used to be frustrated by that, but I, I don't think I am anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think the the college game is special and it has its it has its own place. And the NBA game is special and it, and it has its own place. And I don't spend a lot of time trying to compare all of all the things that surround it. I just I enjoy. I mean, I'll be honest, there are nights I enjoy that I, I come in the building and there's a band playing. I don't get that <laughs> with the with the uh, on, on the NBA level. And, you know, you get you get the chance to to um, visit different parts of the country that maybe you wouldn't if you're if you weren't covering college basketball. So it's a different pace. It's a different uh, part of the part of the country that you get to see instead of just major cities, which is what the NBA takes you to. And I, you know, I enjoy I enjoy doing that. That's a great point, And we'll get back to it. But first, a message from betonline.ag. We are entering a fantastic part of the sports calendar. The first round of the college football playoff is behind us, but the championship is still ahead. Plus, the NFL playoffs are about 24 hours from starting as I record this, and college basketball, NBA basketball are going on full bore. And if you love movies and TV, the Oscars and Golden Globes are coming up, and you can get involved at betonline.ag for something. They have something for all types of interests. And as you know, you can sign up today for a free account on betonline.ag and use that familiar promo code PODCAST1 for a 50% sign-up bonus, which is fantastic. But there's a new offer, too. You can take advantage of their Refer-A-Friend program, where you can give a 200% bonus to your friend, up to $200, which is absolutely awesome. So you can go online, go to your mobile phone to sign up today, and whatever you're into, lots of great sports stuff going on, as I said. They also have in-game live betting where you can participate with all the action with every play. So use that podcast one promo code for a 50% sign up bonus. You can also use that refer a friend program where you can give a 200% bonus to your friend up to $200. So check it out. Betonline.ag, your online sports book experts. Well, and as you said at the beginning, it basketball is an organism, and there it's fun to engage at different stages in the process. Like I've mostly ended up focusing on the men's game, though I would be happy to, to to branch out when the opportunity warrants. But for me, like getting back into high school stuff, and you know, I've gone to a few you know tournaments and you know like the hoop summit and everything like that, and sure. it really does give you an appreciation for not only where things are and who's next, and that's one way of looking at something like hoop summit, but also you know where the sport might be going that's sometimes like that was where i first started seeing young big men just taking a bunch of threes and that is eventually percolating into the nba game not only just with those young guys but with veterans brooke lopez is a great example here and i feel like it gives me a different connection with where with where things are are moving to and i'm sure that's even more interesting for you because you get kind of get it from two angles at the same time yeah absolutely um that's actually a, a big reason why i started working with high school players a couple summers ago, I started coaching for USA Basketball in three-on-three, and I work with the U18 teams. And one of the reasons I, I did was just to get a chance to remember what basketball was like at that level. And being uh, an elite player in high school, I, I was one, uh, and now getting a chance to interact with players that are now and get a chance to, to help them. And I agree. I think the more that you kind of plant a flag 
around different parts of the basketball organism, the better you are to, to serve it, right? The better, the better you understand it. And certainly being in the analyst role for me, that's really what, what your job is, is to, to help the fans understand what's going on. I mean, that's the, that's what your job is. And, and so, uh, the different questions and the different issues that pop up when I'm working with high school players or trying to explain something or, when I'm talking with a group of my buddies and they don't understand it because maybe I'm not explaining it the right way for them to understand, not the cool way for basketball nerds to understand. So when you hit the game from a bunch of different ways and you plant your flag all around that organism, well, I think now you have a better chance to be relatable to everyone in that space as opposed to just the, the select few. And, you know, when you're I mean, I think it's I think it's helped me relate to the coaches I cover uh, more because I have a better understanding, having gone through through it, what what challenges there are in that profession, what challenges that you you face on a game to game basis, on a possession possession basis, and the stress that comes with those decisions that you that you have to make. So I agree with you. I think I think that's great that you're that you've gone gone out and done those types of things at different levels um, because I think it just gives you a better overall understanding of you know of the sport. Well, and I like that you brought up the idea of talking to different audiences because communication is an extremely important part of the job, and knowing the audience is an extremely important part of that. And I've had the challenge, and you have it a lot more than I do because of your the audiences that you work with of. It's not just about having the right ideas. And I mean, we're all working on that all the time and you're learning and adapting and everything like that. But it's also conveying what is in your head in a way that is accessible and that opens things up. You know, working with inside jokes or trying to trying to maybe utilize a stat that isn't commonly known. You know, maybe you have to explain it or use something else or, or try to find a way in. And that is it's so important that it's not just about, you know, like being right or sounding smart or whatever. It's it's trying to get the people that are listening to you to understand what what you're trying to convey. Yeah, that's that's the number one thing I think that you have to do. I mean, it might be tied for number one with having a broadcast that that's entertaining that people want to listen to, but more than anything, I want people from the most, I mean, whoever you are, if you think in your head of the smartest basketball person you know, we probably all have different answers, but I bet they're all really smart, the names we come up with. I want that person to be able to listen to a, a Wizards broadcast and take something out of it. And I, I always use the example of my mom, not because she doesn't know a ton about basketball. She certainly watched a lot of it, but she's not as addicted to it as we are. So she's not interested in necessarily in her spare time learning about the nuances of it. So I, I can't talk so far over her head that she thinks it's, you know, a lecture and it's nuclear engineering 401. You know, I mean, you can't you can't do that because my goal is not to show people how smart I am. My goal is to have people enjoy the game and maybe they come away a little bit smarter. And so that's always a balance. That's always something that you're trying to figure out and trying to convey. And so I'm very careful. Uh, I try to be uh, very purposeful with my word choice, not always calling it what the inaction may be, what it's commonly called around the NBA or maybe what the Wizards call it. Uh, I might just call call it something that's more descriptive so that someone who doesn't know that commonly used term will be able to see it because the words are descriptive. 
So yeah, you think about all those things, particularly when you're talking over something that just happened. And if I'm talking over a replay, I, I feel a little bit more uh, freedom to say some commonly used terms maybe because I know the person is seeing it while I'm saying it. And so maybe that connects them and that aligns something and maybe that term is what they learned that night. But I also don't think people are stupid. So I, don't, I try not to talk down to the viewer either uh, because I, I know that there's a lot of intelligent basketball fans. I know you interact with them on a daily basis and they crave and they yearn for more information and more intelligence. So I think there's, there's yeah, that's spend a lot of time thinking about like sentence structure and word choice um, in terms of how to explain complex things uh, if they arise. And that's the thing about the game is you never know what or when it's going to arise. Yeah. And, and you brought up the important concept of, of making it entertaining. And that, that's something that I've gained a greater appreciation for doing the NBA cast with Nate, you know, because we do a lot of our, our analysis is after the fact. And it, it's easier to be a little bit more analytical, a little bit more dispassionate at that point, even though, you know, we still care about it and everything like that. But when you're conveying a live broadcast, the energy is such an, an important part of that, not only yeah. because that that's why most people watch sports, but because it, it flows through you a little bit. But it is it is getting that balance that... It, it, I, I am I am always impressed with people who can do a really good job of that because it's it's just such a it's such a hard thing to strike for me and but I mean for people like you and there are a lot of people in the broadcasting world at a higher level that like at a higher level than where where I am obviously that have figured that out but it, it's just tough. Yeah, it's tough because uh, you know you've we've all heard people that are maybe too far on the energy end of the spectrum. And then some people that are, that are too low in terms of energy and, and you're constantly having to, you know, having to balance that. Um, you don't necessarily want a second quarter play, you know, with seven minutes left to act like it's game seven of the finals. Right. <laughs> but at the same time, depending on who it is and what, what exactly is the play uh, when you're in the NBA long enough or you're around the game long enough, <laughs> You know when something's spectacular, whether whenever it happens, and so just documenting that for people, um, I think is important. And as you get to know uh, your audience, I think it's it's really important too. Getting to know your audience, especially if you're working for a team like I am, most of our viewers are from or living in the Washington D.C. area with League Pass, and certainly you know people streaming all over the world, you know, that they, there's the games are being consumed by people outside of Washington DC area. But yeah, core uh, viewers are Washington Wizards fans. So uh, I grew up a Washington Bullets fan. <laughs> I grew up in DC area, uh, right outside DC, Alexander, Virginia. And so I felt like coming into the job, I obviously had an idea of what it's like to be a Bullets fan because I, I am a Bullets fan. I was a Bullets fan growing up. And now uh, for me to, to get a chance to call the games is is really special, and uh, I always try to keep that in mind in terms of the viewers, uh, the fans. You know what what's important to them, and what do they want to learn? What part of the game do they want to learn, or what you know what, what part of the game do are they interested in the most? And something that goes along with that, working working more closely with a team and a local television network, is that your audience is different not only in terms of what they're looking for, but how they engage with the game that you're watching. You know, so a lot of the fans who watch your games, maybe they won't watch every game, but they will watch more of the Wizards than everyone else. And so that broadcast and the the insight that you have, whether it's on the Wizards or on their opponents, are presumably shaded with that 
with that in mind because that's how you speak to your audience. And so that's fun. And so you can, I'm sure there's a challenge of like, how much do you reference like the previous game or the previous big game or everything like that and, and what's coming up. But it is nice to have more consistency, you could say, with who's watching because you have a, a, an idea, not of everybody's perspective, but of where a lot of people are coming from. Yeah, it is nice. It's much different than doing a national broadcast. And that was something that I, I talked to quite a few people um, after I after I got the position, uh, that that toggle between national and local, and the differences and how they call the games. And uh, the thing about DC that I've always loved is that it's such a great melting pot because it's an international city. Obviously, it's the capital of our nation, so you have people from all over the country uh, that live there because of the government, because of the military, the Pentagon. And then it's an international city because of all the embassies. There's a lot of people that live in D.C. that aren't from D.C., but they love basketball. And then there is a lot of people in D.C. that are from D.C., that ride or die D.C., that love D.C. sports. And, you know, we we have a very intelligent fan base. It's something that, uh, you know, you you live and you work in the D.C. area and you're just exposed to, to so many different things. Within our society, whether it is government, whether it is the arts, whether it is sports, so that's why a big big thing for me is covering that, that team night to night has always been you know the intelligence of the viewer in mind. I mean, you can't really you can't BS them, right? They know what they're seeing, um, and so I don't try to try to sugarcoat things. Yeah, that that perspective is clearly important. And, you know, now with that being your primary job, one of the things I wanted to ask you as somebody who you said, you know, from the national game perspective and then going to the Wizards, how do you think that, how has that adjustment affected the way that you watch and analyze the NBA more broadly? You know, because you're probably, I'm guessing you're seeing a little bit less of, you know, or at least a different sample of the other teams, but you still have to keep in touch with everything in order to inform your current position. Sure. I see... I obviously see every team against the Wizards, which is not necessarily indicative of how that team plays. If you just took the sample size of the two games they played against the Wizards, the three games, the four games. Uh, but I do make sure that I get out and obviously watch a lot of a lot of games in preparation for the Wizards games. And then also I do uh, work for ESPN Radio um, NBA games. So I was on Sixers Celtics on Christmas Day. And so those games give me an opportunity to, to stay within the league, but to pop outside of the Wizards bubble and get a chance to see uh, those teams from a different from a different vantage point, uh, which is helpful. And so I, I, I usually do that. I don't know. I, I think last year maybe I did six or seven uh, radio games outside of outside of the Wizards um, and, and worked the worked the playoffs as well. So that 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 I think helps helps with that perspective. Uh, when you're talking about uh, the national landscape or certainly like radio games or playoffs, uh, the lion's share of my watching goes to the contending teams, like I'm sure most people. So I would say that that, that is definitely shaded in that direction uh, when I'm not watching the Wizards or a upcoming Wizards opponent. But other than that, I think um, it's probably 10 times more than what it was before because I had so many responsibilities working uh, men's and women's college basketball that uh, I just didn't have enough time to devote all the hours that I get to now devote to the to the NBA. Are you enjoying that transition? I mean, the NBA is a very different beast from them, but there is, I mean, as somebody who, who lives and breathes it, there is a benefit to just spending that much time with the NBA game. Yeah, there's definitely a benefit and a chance to 
I mean, when I covered men's college basketball, I'm still covering women's college basketball. So there's, you know, as we talked earlier, there's not too much of a difference. When I cover men's college basketball with the one and dones, I was in the SEC. So I covered Kentucky a lot. And every year you had to learn new people <laughs> because because every year the roster turned over. And I, I'm enjoying while the rosters turn over in the NBA because of player movement, you know, the body of players and certainly the body of rotation players tends to stay pretty much the same, with the exception of the rookies each year. And so I'm enjoying kind of that certainty of rosters or certainty of player pool that exists in the NBA. It's just a much smaller group of, of players to track than it, than it was for me in the college game because there's so many uh, schools and so many teams, uh, and, and now it's, it's more concentrated. Uh, the other thing I like about the NBA is just how talented these guys are. I just, I just enjoy watching uh, the, the skill level of the players, uh, the intelligence of the players. I, uh, you know, having played at the highest level, I, I have a great deal of respect for uh, the things they do because I know how hard it is to do the things they do, and I know how long it takes, and I know how disciplined you have to be. And so there's just a, uh, a mutual respect that I have for for the players and, and what they're able to accomplish each night. A great example of that happened recently. Uh, Nate and I were doing a Blazers game, and we got excited because CJ McCollum did a, I, I think it was a gather move that's actually more common in the women's game. It's not a travel, but everybody kind of thinks it is. And it's, it's incorporated in the men's game. I think Draymond has talked about that he picked it up from the women's game. And so I think Nate actually reached out to CJ to say like, oh, did you pick this up from there? And he's like, no, I just did it. And like the the fact that he could just like improvise a move that complicated, you know, there are, there obviously are players outside the NBA that could do it, but the skill level of these players is just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean the control that they have over over their bodies is uh, you know at times mind-boggling in terms of being able to to teach something or to show something or to draw something and then instantaneously they are able to pick it up and understand not just the action but all of the things that could potentially outflow from the action, what could be some of the potential pitfalls of that action, which would mean you'd have to improvise and, and do something different. There's so many things. I mean, there's it, there, there really are like millions of decisions that, that you have to make as a player in one game. And, you know, these players do it night after night, and it's it's remarkable. It really is. Uh, 82 games is a long time. It's a long season. And uh, it wasn't until last year uh, having to go through it with a team that I, that I fully appreciated uh, what the what the players go through because it's it takes an, an, an intense amount of focus and the other part uh, that happened I think last year was the change I think I came in in the year where uh, they they really tried to eliminate the four and five and, and really tried to uh, or added the extra week to the season all those things they're doing and in doing so what what that has done is uh, while there are more days in between games it's a lot of every other night that you play instead of having maybe four and five and then having three days off or four days off right and that's a challenge from a mental standpoint if you think you're playing every other day for six months <laughs> i mean that's a lot that's a lot of games and to, so to be able to flip flip that every night flip turn the page every single night to get ready because in 36 hours you have another team to play with another set of potential problems. Uh, that's uh, that focus is is remarkable. It's something that players talk about a lot. The biggest adjustment from 
the college game or the high school game to the pros is it's not necessarily how many games teams play per week, though that is different as well. It's just how long the season is. I remember yeah. the, the story I tell with this because it's striking. Be, granted, the Warriors were bad then too, but Steph Curry, at the end of his rookie year, he told me, I've lost more games this season than in high school and college combined. And I think he was right. Like, you know, I don't think he was saying it like he'd run the numbers and was telling it, but it's just the sheer volume of how often you're playing and you get to turn the page quickly. It's true. But then also the physical toll playing at the highest level, especially these players who are starting every game, that it's just, it's a lot to take on. It's a lot to take on and you're doing it under the finest microscope that anybody has had to do it under in, in, in league history, right? Because of how everything is scrutinized and how everything is captured and how every move you make on the court is going to be uh, talked about. And that is, uh, that is a challenge. Every outburst, uh, every, every visible sign of frustration or excitement is broadcast or could be broadcast to everybody. Uh, that, that is hard to, to play under those, under those uh, constraints. Uh, obviously, they're compensated very well for that, but that doesn't mean it's, it's easy. Yeah, I, I, I just, you know, I'll reiterate, I, I just have a lot of respect for the players and what they're being asked to do on a night-by-night basis. Having been through that, it's uh, it's not easy. And that's where the, the mental focus and the discipline, because you, you talked about the physical piece. Uh, when you're not feeling feeling healthy or you're not healthy and you're sore and, you know, you, you still go out there, you know, that's, that's not easy to do uh, night after night. Yeah, that, that's really true. Plenty more with Carol Lawson, but first... A message from TrueCar. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you cannot put a price tag on your stories, now with TrueCar, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to TrueCar, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew that was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you are finished, you will get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So, when you are ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out TrueCar today. True cash offer, not available in all areas. Something I wanted to ask you about, because you did, you did both in, at Tennessee and then in the, in the WNBA, how important was it for you, I mean, familiarity, you talked about the player pool being smaller in the NBA, to, to, to not have to face opponents that you just had never seen them play before, and you talked about physical length. Was, was that something that you really valued as a player? And then as an, as an analyst, I'm sure there's a benefit, too, of not seeing many new players game in, game out. Yeah, you know, once you get into the WNBA is a lot smaller than, than the NBA in terms of you know, the teams. And so there's 12 teams in the league. You know each other very well. Uh, you, you know the, the coaching tendencies, you know the playing tendency, players' tendencies. Uh, it's just, it's a hard league to win games in because there's only 12 teams. And it's just a real, real challenge. Every night is, a, is, very, is very taxing because of how good everybody is, that the talent's so concentrated. So that that I remember from from playing is just a it's just the hardest league it really is. When you look at the NBA, I think I'm I'm still building my foundation in terms of you know my my book on each team, and obviously that changes uh, with coaching turnover and front office turnover in terms of what you expect to see from a certain team, how they play, what their principles are, 
what their sets are or what their philosophies are. So depending on who stays or who goes, um, that obviously can change year to year. And so every year I, ju- I have a file on each team and you're building on some, some, sometimes you can build off of what you used last year and sometimes you can't because it's different. And so that's how I keep track of, of kind of what's going on. And then each summer I try to do a deep dive on a couple players and on a couple teams, um, just to further understand what, what they're trying to accomplish or what makes them um, good or what makes them bad. And I, I definitely find that helps me going into the, to the new year about what, uh, what teams understanding a team's, you know, philosophy, at least from the outside. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm interested in your perspective on this with, with what you've been watching, but have you seen any kind of big picture shifts in either the men's or women's game this year or over the last couple? I know people have talked about the offensive explosion that started this year in the NBA and the three-point shot, but anything that really stands out to you when you're watching night in, night out? Uh, usually what I see, because I, I go between both college and pro, is that college will be like a little bit behind pro with certain concepts. Not that coaches don't know those concepts, obviously they do, but in terms of their ability to apply it, because they're working with players that maybe, or not maybe, they aren't as advanced as players that are pros, that are 10 years older. So the trickle down of concepts, you'll see, this is all stuff that's happened in the NBA, but it, it came to college later. So like just the high ball screen, teams doing that, obviously it's been in the NBA a long time, but there are that trickled down to college. Icing ball screens. Nobody iced ball screens when I was in college, but now they do after the NBA had success with it. So there's different carryovers with those types of things that that you'll see. Um, And then the other thing I see is that uh, the younger players uh, know how to do all these advanced moves (laughs) that you see, like the, the stars do. And... I guess they just, that's what they, I guess that's what they work on. Like they know how to do all those things. So when you reference someone, something that a player does, a lot of the younger players, at least the ones that I've been able to work with, like they know how to do those, those moves or they, they know what you're talking about. And so it makes when you're trying to create an analogy for a player, it makes it easy because they, they know whether you're referencing something Steph does or something LeBron does or something Harden does. They, they know at least what you're talking about. So I found that that part makes it, makes it easier. Are you noticing, like in your coaching, you talked about like high-end high school players, that there isn't as much of a difference in skill level by height? Because it used to be, you know, this old stereotype was, you know, big men can't dribble or, you know, taller women can't dribble. Is that evening out a little bit? Because I'm seeing that in the, in the men's high school game. Yeah, everybody wants to face, wants to f- turn and face. There's very few players that want to, back to, want to be back to the basket. I think at least the players I've worked with, uh, the shorter players are generally still the better ball handlers and more creative. I think that's just a necessity from living a life being short. (laughs) Like they know that they have to be really good in that area. Um, So I still find from a ball handling perspective um, that the that the shorter players are tend to be a little bit more in command um, and a little bit more creative. But my boys team that I coached this year, I mean, one of our biggest guys was our best passer. He was a terrific passer. One of uh, my uh, my biggest um, girl, our post player, was had a great understanding of how offense works together and how everything should fit. And so I maybe it's because I'm 
younger. I, I never um, approached either team with uh, this preconceived notion of what they should be. I just wanted to see what they could what they could handle, and the post players could handle making decisions like guards, and they could handle all those you know concepts that you needed to throw at them. So, yeah, I, I just look at it now as just everyone's a player, and I'm going to ask every player to do everything until they prove to me they can't. They can't be relied upon to do it. And uh, most, most, uh, most of the things that uh, we did, at least in the three-on-three concept, was everybody had to be every spot because there's only three spots. So we can't just put you in four or five. That's not how it works. Um, and so I think that that really proved to me the success that that they had in in picking everything up and in, in understanding everything. That yeah, I mean, I think sometimes coaches limit players because they don't think it's something they can do when if you really give them a chance to show you they can they can do it it also helps that those elements are generally more fun to do you know dribbling and passing and all that and so it's more engaging it's not the dirty work of like defending in the post or posting up or anything like that which can be less i mean great i was never big enough to be a post-up player but that are less fun to to do and they're so much more of a grind so if 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 it engages them and it gives them a skill set that is useful moving forward whether they're in a big role or a small role i'm all for it yeah i mean let me tell you though i had this one kid she's unbelievable her name's Haley van lith she's from washington she's from the state of washington she's from the middle of the state so smack dab in between seattle and spokane and uh she actually i was just talking uh, about her to uh, jamal crawford uh because he had her at his camp this summer uh it's a high school boys camp but he invited um Haley. and she was one of the best players i ever saw and defending the post like honestly she was incredible so i i i didn't even i mean she would just fight her butt off and would consistently circle and get get a deflection or consistently get a steal or bait the bait the uh, passer into a lob uh that that was a turnover and uh so I, I do i do understand what you're saying from the offensive standpoint and obviously a player as competitive as haley is 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 rare in the landscape but uh, it's really fun when you find a player that can can do all of those things from every position. And she's not very tall, but she still can do all those things. It doesn't mean that's where she's most effective, but she has the ability to. And that's really what you want is you want somebody that's able to do all those things. So when they do get switched on to a big uh, because of of an unforeseen circumstance, it's not the game plan. They're going to at least be able to hold their own for a possession or two. And uh, it was I mean, it was it was a lot of fun to watch because uh, when you switch and the team actually thinks they have an advantage and they don't, um, you know, it's it's uh, <laughs> it makes you feel good because you're you're seeing them, you know, battle 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 their brains out and uh, and a perceived disadvantage and they turn it into an advantage for the team. That's a really exciting, and it fits in with something where physical strength is actually an underappreciated element for shorter players. Where you, you, there are some of these players in, in the NBA level who you, people think they can post them up, but they really can. And, and intelligence, and there are a lot of other elements in play here. But yeah, that's that's great to hear because, and it, I think it makes the, it makes the game more fun as well. Yeah, it makes it more fun. It gives you more flexibility and. You're right. Having physical strength, having that core strength to be able to not be knocked off the ball, to be able to hold your own in a in a size disadvantage matchup, that 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 just it just increases your value. And you know, I I see it every night. I mean, guys that have the ability to to maintain possession of the ball, not only maintain possession of the ball, but deliver uh, on target passes or still make their correct reads. 
um, when they're being pressured. Uh, and when I say being pressured, being, being bumped physically. Because um, there are a lot of defenders in this league that uh, do a really good job, I think, of being able to maintain some physicality in the, in the new uh, age offensive uh, rules protection <laughs> of the NBA. And uh, there are still some physical defenders out there. And so when you go up against some of those players, can you still uh, deliver uh, the passes uh, that you need to be able to deliver and finish the layups that you need to be able to finish? And uh, that's been, been something that uh, I've noticed as a separator uh, between you know certain players, their, their ability to handle, handle that physical contact. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but before we end this, I wanted to ask you a question I've been asking a lot of people over the last little bit. I like it of just over the next few weeks, you have a lot of you wear a lot of different hats. But what are you going to be watching for when you're keeping an eye on the NBA and everything else? Well, if, if I look through uh, the, the prism of my job specifically, uh, let's start with that. With the Wizards, I am looking to see what exactly the team is uh, in, in this iteration of it. Uh, this iteration being in the last week, uh, we found out that John Wall will miss the rest of the season. Uh, just today, uh, we found out that Markeith Morris will miss significant time, six weeks. And Otto Porter just returned to the lineup last night. So there's still, uh, to me, a lot to figure out in terms of what is this version of the team without John, without Keith. And with OP just coming back, what is that going to what is that going to look like? And it feels like forever ago, but uh, Trevor Reese is obviously still integrating himself into into the team. So that's something that I'm just going to be watching game by game and, and seeing how it's how it's going and uh, continuing to watch Thomas Bryant flourish <laughs> as a uh, as a starting center for the Wizards. Um, he's done a nice job of just focusing on the simple things and doing those well. As far as uh, the the larger NBA, I, I mean, I think I'm a I don't think I know I'm a fan just like everybody else. So I, I definitely watch uh, the other teams and the other games, um, looking to to uh, to see when when LeBron comes back, and certainly stay, keep a close eye on the Western Conference because of how close all the teams' records are, and who who might be a team that can get hot and um, jump up the standings out there. Uh, I do look at uh, with respect to uh, the Eastern Conference. I'm very interested to see where everyone settles at the top. Milwaukee, Toronto, Boston, Philly. Having just done Boston and Philly a week ago, I'll be interested. Uh, the, the Wizards play Philly twice next week, back-to-back. So I'll definitely be interested to see um, how the Sixers look two weeks removed from seeing them the last time. And then from the college game, um, it's, it's, it's more just seeing how the conference races play out. Uh, we, while we do have non-conference games uh, that occur in January and February, and there's some big ones, it, it really is right now time to buckle down in conference play and try and do your best to, to win a conference championship. Or as, as I talked about earlier in the podcast, Danny, the, the really thing that's really important for women's college teams is to secure those top, one of those top 16 seeds, uh, and that's a, that's a really important thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm always keeping a, you know, a running list of teams that I think will have the opportunity to host who I think potentially uh, will we'll get those uh, will get those bids in the women's side. By and large, uh, a team that gets a top 16 team, a top 16 seed is a team that could eventually get to the final four. Not that there, there aren't Cinderella's, but for the most part, it ends up being top four seeds. And so those are the, the teams that I tend to zero in on. 
and narrow down. Uh, you know, once we once we turn once the calendar turns to the next year. That's a lot a, a lot to to focus on, but I totally get it with your perspective, and I'm really excited to to see where it goes. And as you said, February, March, and April is when it gets even crazier for you. So it's going to just keep ramping up from here. Yeah, it's 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 a great deal. You know what's awesome about it is the final four this year is late uh, for the women. I think it's April fifth and seventh. For the men, it's April sixth and eighth. And that weekend is the weekend before the NBA playoffs start, I believe. I believe the NBA playoffs start like 11th, 11th, 12th of April, somewhere around there. I think you're right, yeah. So I don't skip a beat, man. I love it. Like, I don't have to have a Final Four hangover, you know? I just go and know that in a few more days, the playoffs will be starting. So I'm excited about that because normally there's like a little bit of a lull there. Last year, I think there was like 10 days or 12 days. I had a couple of Wizards regular season games, but... There, you know, there's a little bit of a of a letdown from excitement. So it's nice to go from one weekend to the next of just great atmospheres. Yeah, that's going to be great. I hadn't even considered that yet. So be looking forward to it. Thanks so much for taking the time. All right, Danny. Have a good one. Thanks, man. Thanks. Thanks again to Carol Lawson for taking the time to come on. You can see her and listen to her on the Wizards broadcasts, NBC Sports Washington, and also her other work covering both the NBA, the non-Wizards games for ESPN, and women's basketball, of course, as well. And I'm so happy that she made that a priority and was able to do it. And as we talked about at length in the episode, that it really does make her analysis better. Kara is one of my favorites. As many of you know, I am a league pass aficionado is probably actually too weak a word for it. It's just a big part of my life. And Carol Lawson in the Wizards broadcast, I'm so happy she got the job and she has done an excellent job with it. And getting to hear her do or see her do more NBA is really exciting for me because I think she has a great mind for everything. But having it more time in what I watch is something that I deeply appreciate. So of course you can watch her and all that. You can also follow her on Twitter at Carol Lawson 20, K-A-R-A-L-A-W-S-O-N, number two, number zero. Loved having her on. This is something that had been in the works for a little while, and I was just thrilled with it. And I really hope hope you enjoyed the podcast, too. As always, if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com. I really appreciate all the feedback on editing versus not editing the show. That's a very useful piece of information for me. You know, there'll probably be piecemeal. It'll depend a little bit by context, but I will probably do less of it just because my, my time is valuable, and that's what the overall feedback was. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of great ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player if you're choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. And if if you don't use Apple Podcasts, you can be even more awesome by reviewing it in that player and in Apple Podcasts because it's just the biggest, it's the monolith in the podcasting world. And so the idea there is to try to make it something that when people are looking for a basketball podcast, they see Real Jam Radio. You can also, of course, use word of mouth, specific episode or the show in general, wherever, social media, whatever. And also subscribing, downloading every episode. Those are incredibly important for a show like this that doesn't come out on the same day every week. Can't really get into a habit with it. So if you subscribe, it just pops in when it's there. Really do appreciate that. And of course, the most important thing you can do with this show or any other that has them is check out our sponsors. BetOnline.ag can use that podcast one promo code for a 50% sign up bonus and that awesome refer a friend offer that they're doing right now is is just great and true car great place to buy new and used cars and sell or trade in your car as i talked about previously not exactly sure 
where I'm going to go for next week. We're getting really into the meat of the season now, which is incredibly exciting for me. And this is part of when I start to get more comfortable doing team stuff. I don't really have a read on a specific story to do in that vein. If I think of one, I will do it. But if it if it's more national, it's more national. You can also, of course, listen to Dunked On, which I do with Nate Duncan for more granular stuff. That's really what we do. And our awards and everything else like that. We just did the awards podcast, recorded it yesterday. And my written work is primarily at The Athletic right now. I have stuff coming out all the time. Still prolific as writing. It's very important to me. And the NBA cast will be back next week for Bucks Rockets, which we're actually really, really excited about. But that is more than enough for me for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Mm-hmm.